This is the waves. 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 Welcome to the Waves, Slate's podcast about gender, feminism, and spectacular sporting events involving people who literally know no fear. Every episode, you get a new pair of women to talk about the things we can't get off our minds. And today, you've got me, June Thomas, one of the hosts of Working, Slate's podcast about the creative process. And me, Amira Rose Davis, a history professor and co-host of the feminist sports podcast, Burn It All Down, over on Blue Wire. This week, we're going to talk about the Winter Olympics, a huge international sporting event featuring the best athletes in the world that's being hosted by an autocratic government currently conducting genocide against the Uyghur population of Xinjiang province in the middle of a worldwide pandemic, causing environmental damage by hosting skiing and snowboarding events in a place that doesn't usually have snow, put together by a corrupt organising committee amid some very basic sexism. All that's true. These games are a total shit show, but they're also one of the rare occasions when female athletes dominate our TV sets and the national conversation, and when some pretty obscure sports, in the United States at least, get a moment in the spotlight. Amira, as someone who is both a sports nut and an unabashed advocate for the rights of athletes, how do you feel about these games? Should they even be happening? Yeah, this is a topic I can't stop thinking about because I can't believe that it's happening, mostly because I feel like many of us are still recovering from the summer games, that pandemic games has a condensed Olympic cycle. And so it feels like we're barely coming up from air and here we are at another Olympics and all Olympics are kind of a mess. This one feels messier than most, but sports still draw you in at three in the morning. I got very into... (laughs) race, you know, like all of these random winter sports, something still pulls me in, even if I think that these games should probably not be happening at all whatsoever. Yeah. All right. Well, we are both conflicted, but also loving the sports. So when we come back, we'll talk through our conflicted feelings about the games and what, if anything, we're looking forward to watching. Hey Waves listeners, if you're loving the show and want to hear more, subscribe to our feed. New episodes come out every Thursday morning. While you're there, check out our other episodes too, like last week's episode about the state of romantic comedies. Amira, are you generally a Winter Games fan? Uh... No. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, watching them makes me cold, and... Every sport in the Winter Olympics seems like a death wish, like quite literally their moves when you translate them are always like death spiral or something ridiculous. But generally, I mean, obviously for me, my focus is the intersection of of race and sports. I, I really look at Black athletes. So the Winter Olympics has not really given me a whole bunch to focus on. Although, of course, that's an area that's like slowly like molasses changing. Um, and so the last cycle actually in Pyeongchang, 
brought me really into the fold in the Winter Games really abruptly. And so I did feel a little bit more prepared uh, going into these games, even if I'm still like, why are you doing these very wild tricks in the cold? Yeah, no, I kind of argue with anything you just said. I agree completely. And yet I am on record as thinking that the Winter Games are the best games, partly because they're doofy. It's just total doofiness. Every (laughs) single event just has an element of complete craziness to it. And this is very personal to me, but I used to be a big, admittedly, armchair sports fan. I've never actually played sports, but I've spent a lot of time watching sports on television. And as I've gotten older, I've kind of let go of it. But there's still something about the Olympics. And partly it's because you can just really be into them for two weeks and you can be the biggest Winter Games fan there is because no one knows what's going on. Yes, literally there are fans of ski jumping or Nordic combined or skeleton, but they're very few and far between. So I love the instant expertise. I like that the Winter Olympics are like a holiday fling. It's not like the kind of lifetime commitment. (laughs) It's quick and fast. Yeah, exactly. Well, you know, I do agree with you on this because I I had to prep, obviously, um, a little bit over the last few weeks. And I now know a lot more about like cross country skiing. And I was in a sports bar yesterday waiting for my daughter's rehearsal to end. And it was on the television and they were confused. And I was like, well, you see, they're doing 15 kilometers in classic (laughs) style skiing. And then they'll switch their skis and they'll do 15 kilometers in a skate style in which their ski will go out at the angle. Like I sounded like the most knowledgeable person ever. So absolutely. That is my vibe. Amira, I have to tell you that I was watching that race yesterday and I had that exact thought and it was only because I had listened to the Winter Olympic preview on your podcast, Burn It All Down. So thank you for that, because even though I was not in a sports bar, which is obviously is the coolest place to wait for your daughter to do something, but even in my own mind, I got to feel like a, like a genius. So a lot of winter sports... They came out of European traditions. You know, the biathlon involves cross-country skiing and shooting. The Nordic combined (laughs) marries skiing down a hill and jumping off a hill wearing skis. Like, you, you need certain conditions to practice many of these sports. This is a long way of saying that these games are pretty white. Not exclusively. There are several Asian American athletes who we're all paying attention to in Japan and South Korea, especially are highly competitive or dominant even in certain events. But as you said earlier, there are very few black athletes. There have been some efforts to diversify the Winter Games. How have they gone? Well, uh, it's going. (laughs) (laughs) You know, back in 2018, the United States sent the most diverse uh, Winter Olympic team ever. And there was a lot to be made of that. That team featured a record number of, of Black Americans, of Asian Americans, two openly gay male athletes, but it was still 93% white. 93, uh, okay. So, right, so you see like the a lot of fanfare for the most diverse ever, and we're not even like breaking out of the 90s. Um, but yeah, so I think that one of the things when we were doing that Olympic cycles, we really could even pinpoint the efforts of like individuals like um, Alana Myers-Taylor in bobsled, who had done so much for bobsled a USA bobsled by going out one-on-one and recruiting black track athletes to the sport 
her efforts alone produced a, a U.S. bobsled team that had like seven out of nine participants were Black women, which was wild. Um, and so when you see how one athlete alone can do that, it really asks you to kind of consider what's holding back these diversity efforts in other areas. Um, I do think that on the other hand, though, and I'll stick with bobsled to, to make this uh, example, at the same time, you still have bobsled federations buying sleds from a top manufacturer who openly refuses to sell to black sledders. He said, if I want to see a monkey drive a sled, I'd go to the zoo. On one hand, you have these individual efforts. And on the other hand, you have these kind of like systemic things that are not even close to being addressed. Alana, who I mentioned, has been calling this out and and other things, but this is across multiple sports. The other thing we're tracking, of course, is that Pyeongchang Song more representation from the global South than we've seen before. Some people uh, might remember the Tongan cross-country skier, right? Um, And we had a lot of like Jamaica in the bobsled, back in the bobsled, Nigeria's bobsled team. You do have that kind of wave of participation occurring as well. And that's continuing in small parts and bits and pieces into these games that we're experiencing now. And already we've seen some dominant countries be challenged by unexpected uh, winners or individual athletes representing Australia, New Zealand. Japan is having a really great game so far. And so I do think that there's ways that you see diversity kind of creeping into the Winter Games. So many of these events, when you hear the commentators are like, this is like a hundred year feud between Finland and Norway. And that is absolutely true. And then what we're starting to see is like little cracks of disruption to that. And I mean, I think it's more interesting that way. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things about winter sports is we focus on the danger. Certainly, if you're like me and you're like, how could you bring yourself to do that? But there's a lot of chance you know a wind gust can derail the the prohibitive favorite um you know just a slight wrong edge can make somebody go off the course and so the more countries there are with strong teams even if they're not favored if they can do very well they can win a medal because there's just a lot of room for chance in in these particular sporting events absolutely especially the combined events because it allows you if if you're not the strongest you know straight out glider skier but you can nail big air in a jump right then you have a chance in these combined sports and i think that that's also kind of i mean i i like you i'm like there's some fascination I have with the random sports that they combine in the winter games. It's like, yes, jump, get big air after you've like crossed a ridiculous long distance when you have like no lactic acid left in your legs and you just want to pass out. I mean, we, we joke about random two sports you could put together, but I do think that's some of the places we're seeing these openings is these areas where you can actually have different skill sets that have the chance to pick up some points. Of course, it's 2022, so COVID has naturally reared its ugly head. Alana Myers-Taylor, who you were mentioning earlier from the bobsled events, was elected by her fellow athletes to carry the U.S. flag in the opening ceremony, but she couldn't do that because she tested positive for COVID. She's all cleared now. That's awesome. But she spent a whole bunch of time in isolation, which lost her some practice time. And in the men's events, you know, just to offer some random examples, the Norwegian cross-country skiing team, which is apparently the world's best, has been really seriously affected by COVID. Does this make the whole 
games hopelessly unfair, do you think? Every time you see this, it's like, oh, maybe we should have postponed. My co-host and I, Jessica Luther, had the chance to talk to Alana in COVID isolation in Beijing. And what was really hard to hear from her was like how hard it was to train, like to not know if you could compete, but then also to figure out, right, like how do you keep your your muscles up? How do you stay ready? Uh, her teammates, her coaches were really great about sending images um, and walkthroughs of the track because that's the scariest thing, not being able to practice when you're doing a sport that involves going careening downhill on ice at high speeds. But, you know, they were able to get her in a, a bike and a barbell and she was posting these workouts. Um, as you mentioned a lot of this is down to timing, and I think that's what feels really hard about it. Alana is able to compete in part because her positive test came really early on, and her event is starting later. One of the reasons why that Norwegian cross-country skiing team was so impacted, actually the women on the team got their test results, you know, at a two days earlier. And those two days make all the difference because their isolation time would still allow them to compete before their event started. Um, and so a lot of what we're seeing is just about timing. Of course, the breaking news at the time we're recording this on Monday is Vincent Zhao of the United States is out of the men's ice skating competition. He was able to participate in the teamscape. But if you notice, when the United States went to get their silver medals, he was missing because he had turned a positive test. And there's no way on 24 hours for him to be cleared to participate. So what feels really hard is how much of the timing aspect is up to chance, but we're in a pandemic. I mean, we're also seeing some ridiculous things. The Canadian and ROC, that's the Russian Olympic Committee athletes, because if you didn't realize, they're still under sanctions that everybody is completely ignoring um, still. And so they had uh, their women's hockey game and the Russian Olympic Committee refused to produce the negative COVID test that they needed to before the game. And so the game was delayed. It was really chaotic because the Canadians were like, we're not playing against you until we see these. They were withholding test results while under sanction for, you know, manipulating test results. Eventually, Canada said to them, well, we'll only play you if you play in masks. And the Russians said, well, then you have to wear them too. And so they played an entire hockey game with K95 masks on. And it's like, sometimes when you're doing that, you're like, all right. Like the realities of the pandemic games just like are glaring reminders that like, maybe we shouldn't be doing this. I'll be thinking about that the next time I have to pull off my mask just to go up like two flights of stairs. Right, exactly. Um, I mean, and it's tricky because there is obviously a huge amount of randomness in the timing of sports. You know, if you are a tennis player and the world's greatest tennis player happens to have the height of her career when you too are at your peak, you know, you might have been the world's greatest five years later, five years earlier. That happens but the like the 25 layers of covid complication random is not really the right word but it feels like more randomness than we really should be seeing in a you know world class sporting event is is coming into play i mentioned in the first segment that there's just some bog standard sexism that we see in i guess in the olympics in sports generally but in the winter games there are some very, very just weird ones. Women 
just are not allowed to take part in certain events, Nordic combined, or they have to do things at shorter distances or from shorter heights. It's 2022. What's going on here? And, and do you see any change happening with that? Yeah, I mean, like you said, here, you know, good old fashioned sexism. Um, the Nordic combined is the only event at the Olympic Games that does not have a corresponding uh, event for women. Um, and it's actually a really upsetting story because the women globally who compete in this sport four years ago were gearing up for our Olympic cycle, preparing and looking towards these games, um, and then kind of had the rug pulled out under them when um, the international federations decided that they needed to delay their entrance into the Olympic Games because of ideas about, like, you need to make it more competitive or they haven't seen enough yet. Um, and so really with quite short notice in terms of like preparation cycles, um, women who had been preparing for the Olympics uh, were kind of blindsided with the fact that that would be off the table, especially after completing a World Cup circuit, which is, of course, for many of these sports, the next highest international competition and really kind of what sets the stage for the Olympic qualifications and competitions that we see now. And so that is one area to watch as we go into the next kind of Olympic cycle is will these sports, will that sport in particular, really come and figure out what year it is and think about equity and and whatnot. And then also, like you mentioned, these shorter race distances are kind of frustrating when they seem arbitrary. It will just be something like the men are going 10 kilometers more. And it's just like, why? Like, sometimes you just want a justification, especially when you have everybody racing on the same slopes or with the same courses. It's like, well, what what is operating here? Is it junk science? Is it idea about like when women are going to hit a wall and just pass out? Like, what is it about these five or 10 extra meters that are just going <laughs> to absolutely end them. And I think that that's what's so frustrating is that we've we've mentioned all the layers of mess at these games, which range from a global pandemic um, to, you know, the timing issues and, and all of that right on down. But the fact of the matter is that sexism is always interwoven to these other kind of issues that we're talking about. And even here, when there's so many things to say, hey, this is a mess of a games, we have to absolutely hold space and include the general sexism that comes from the IOC because that is never off the table. <laughs> no kidding. You can always rely on the IOC to be a mess. We're going to take a break here. But if you want to hear more from Amira and me on another topic, Check out our Waves Plus segment, Is This Feminist?, where today, Amira and I are debating whether it was feminist for the International Olympics Committee to add mixed gender events to the Olympic Games in order to boost female participation in the Games. big money on plant protection supplies now at menards defend your garden with triazicide insect killer its fast acting formula protects lawns vegetables and many other plants it kills more than 260 insects by contact above and below ground choose from ready to spray concentrate or granular save big money on triazicide insect killer at menards and check out our weekly flyer on menards.com for all the great deals happening now save big money at all right, I'm going to begin this segment with something that I never, ever thought I would say. 
I am someone who, at the height of my Olympics fandom, used to go to Canada or even the UK during the Games to avoid the NBC Olympic experience. And I can hardly bring myself to say it, but I'm really enjoying the coverage this year. Peacock actually works, which I couldn't make it work during the Summer Games last year, but over the weekend... I was able to watch events live or via replays. I could see what the athletes have been doing before the Games, which feels extra important in the Winter Olympics because, yeah, I'm not watching the World Cup circuit. But if I can, you know, just catch a few races, if I can see, you know, even this morning I was able to watch the practice ring for the figure skaters. That's fantastic. I was able to watch all eight ends of a curling match without any ad breaks because I did pay for the ad-free experience, but still. And so you can opt out of the NBC coverage and just watch the competition if you're allergic to schmaltz and you just want to see people, you know, sliding big stones down a sheet of ice, or you can watch it if you want to. Um, How has it been for you? Peacock was like hit or miss over the summer, but it feels maybe we all just are better at it (laughs) now. Um, But it's really convenient uh, as an insomniac to be able to watch live events at 3 a.m., but also figure out what did I miss? What do I want to kind of revisit? There's something that I joined a broadcast for just after like some incredible run that people were talking about, and I just rewound it. That was really great. I must admit, you know, maybe we're just in a new age because I think Peacock, when it first launched it, we were just like, what is a peak? What is happening here? And then it's actually like working. And I felt the same way like I do about like Premier League on on and Champs League on CBS, which by the way, is now like the best coverage. So we might just be in an era of like better sports, you know, apparatus and coverage in terms of in our home. Yeah. And I've actually started to miss the schmaltzy stories. Schmaltzy stories is actually a very kind of condescending and rude way of talking, but like, not to get back to our favorite athlete, but like Alana Myers-Taylor, there is a film that I know will be played on NBC when, you know, when it's her events, but she has a genuinely amazing story with her son. She's a mother. Her son is disabled. Like there are things that she needs as a mother that have been hard to access like this is important stuff and it's a little bit emotional you know but it's it's a story that I was genuinely not only moved by but like that was a good reflection of what athletes need they need if they're mothers they need to be able to be in contact with their children I mean that's I miss that all right so let's talk a little bit about the events we're ta- as we said earlier we're taping this on monday it's pretty early in the olympic competition have you seen anything exciting yet yeah um zoe sadowski from new zealand she's a snowboarder uh won the first gold medal for new zealand at the winter games with an absolutely epic run on the third run um, and she's done so much for women's snowboarding. Um, and the thing I liked about her win was twofold. One, her last jump off of the um, part of the the slope they call the Great Wall jump because it's built like the Great Wall and it's really huge. Um, she got so much air. Like, it was wild to see how far... Like, I think sometimes the commentators are like, oh my gosh. And I'm like, it doesn't look like anything different to me. But that was one where I was like, she's going so far. Like I could see it. Um, 
But it was the joy, like, when she landed, she was instantly hugged by her co-medalists. And I was, like, sobbing at how much they were happy. They, like, literally tackled her. And then the all of the competitors, like, had a little mosh pit together. And it was just, like, it reminded me of the summer games of women's skateboarding. And I say women, but it really is teenagers, um, all of them. And how much camaraderie they had. And I think that really comes from when you see, especially women and girls who have put in so much blood, sweat, and tears to grow the sport, to get it to the Olympic level, and then watch people continue to push it. And that's what I really saw in Zoe. Um, And also her dad gave a really epic swear-filled reaction to her winning. And I think the second thing that I saw that Jess Luther actually drew my attention to that I just want to put on everybody's radar is Niles Van Der Poel, who um, won the 5,000 meters in speed skating and is like wild athlete, but he also gives the best quote. So if you haven't listened to him talk about speed skating, please do, because his answers are like, they're like, what did you do to do this? And he was like, this all sucks. So like, whatever I did to make it suck less, like, that's what I knew I had to do. Um, He's fascinating. And he's elite athlete who just also is like, no, training sucks. This sport sucks. I love it. But like, Nobody wants to train for this. This is wild that we do it. And I really like his frankness. Yeah, I I have to agree with you there. I saw that and I thought, well, elite sports always demand everything of the athlete. Speed skating, anything that gets your thighs to that state, the fun leaves a long time ago. And for him to kind of say, there's no fun in that. So I do these other things to distract me. And then, you know, I come back and ride my bike or skate for another, you know, 10,000 meters or whatever, whatever. It's crazy. I'm a huge curling fan. And so I've been watching, <laughs> I've been uh, listening to a lot of uh, English speaking people say hard, hard, or uh, <laughs> shot rock. You know, everybody seem wherever they're from, they all seem to, well, except for the Scots, but many of them seem to have Canadian accents when they actually say the curling terms. Um, but also it's a sport where people just yell. I mean, because you got to yell down the ice, it's, especially in the mixed doubles, which is the first event. People have got to like communicate. And the only way you can do that is to yell. And so <laughs> it's just kind of funny to hear people yelling. And I'm pretty sure I've picked up some Norwegian too, but I'm sure it's just hard, hard. So I don't know how much use it's going to be for me. Okay, lots of Olympic Games still to go. Who are the athletes you're most excited to watch coming up? Yeah, somebody we've been talking about all episode, Alana Myers-Taylor, who's had such a journey back to this place, um, had her son, thought her biggest obstacle was going to be working back from childbirth to the Olympic Games, and then a pandemic happened. Uh, Her son uh, also um, has Down syndrome, and actually in COVID isolation was the first time she spent more than a night away from him. So dealing with like added stuff is so great to see her back there, and I I want gold for her so much. It's it's ridiculous. Also, of course, Michaela Schifrin, who had that fall that you mentioned, um, want to see her in her four other events. And Aaron Jackson in Binding and Speed Skating, who are just like joys to watch. Um, and so I'm looking forward to their races. And this one's hard because I know uh, if you watch figure skating at all, you saw Camila become the first woman in Olympic history to throw and land a quad. And then just for kick, she did another one uh, and, and would have landed a third and unfortunately had the one mistake in her entire program where she fell. It's hard to watch because as beautiful and striking and history 
changing, barrier breaking it is. It's also hard because she's 15. And her coach, Terry, is is renowned for strenuous training and discarded athletes. Um, she always in the Olympic cycle has like a new trio of dominant Russian teenagers. And just as soon, it seems like they're discarded and, and kind of like actually physically broken. And so she made history last night. And it's also really hard for me. I, I've spent the last year working on a project on, on gymnastics, which has a lot of parallels. Um, and it's a sport with tough coaches and young competitors and broken bodies and emotional trauma. And I felt like the, those parallels were just glaring to me. And so as beautiful as it is, it also feels kind of haunting. You know, even more than that, though, Amira, the crazy thing about that skate was the music. Who chooses the music <laughs> that Torval and Dean, you know, danced in Sarajevo, the greatest, the greatest bit of Olympic skating in the history of Olympic skating? You use the same music. I mean, it's just a bit too much. It's too much. But nice quads. So my last question for you is, I guess, a big existential one. No one wants to host the Winter Olympics anymore. Uh, and I just wonder what your feeling is about that. Should we just resign ourselves to authoritarian governments putting on good shows? Should we have one set host nation, preferably one with natural snow? Or should we just... I don't know, burn it all down. What should we do with these Winter Olympics? Because there are some amazing athletes who train their whole lives for these events, but it just feels like a huge mess, right? Yeah, I mean, we know the Olympics are already quite harmful. Displacement, militarization, etc. We had this conversation over the summer about, like, an Olympic island so we could stop doing this kind of thing, especially when we know there's so much corruption in terms of who gets awarded the Olympic Games, when we know that there's so much um, kind of back dealing about the politics behind that. And really, a lot of people are pulling out of hosting it, but not necessarily because the top officials are letting go of opportunities to line their own pockets, but because on the ground mobilizations against staging Olympics in, in these host countries have been actually growing, spreading and becoming more forceful. Um, of course, this game with COVID and human rights concerns are layered quite conspicuously on top of the general terribleness. Um, but another area I'm watching is the growing climate concerns and waste on Olympic Games. And this is really stark in the Winter Olympics in particular, like you mentioned around snow production. Because of how much water usage it requires, there's almost no areas that have naturally enough snow to do it. And so you have to make a shit ton of snow in order to hold these, have these games. And in order to do that, we see lies, more lies, and, you know, some statistics thrown around. In this case, uh, it was um, about slopes going through natural water preserves uh, in China that um, that the IOC and the China Chinese Olympic Committee were like, no, 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 we're not going through it. We're going next to it. Um, but their version of next to it was actually to just, like, carve out this reserve and it's actually reduced it by like 25%, not to mention the water that they're using that is in a moment of scarcity for water of, of Chinese farmers and, and folks in the region already. And this is just to make so much snow. And if we think about climate change moving forward, this issue in particular is only going to get worse. And we think about where we're staging subsequent winter games 
it's something to watch. And I think the answer, if you think about that, the answer to your question is, well, no one should host them. But as you said, it, it's a hard call when there's athletes and when there's people in power who will not easily let go of uh, the opportunity to make some money and gain some power based on the labor of of athletes who are sacrificing limb and effort and everything hurtling downhill at outrageous speeds and launching in the air. And I'm very conscious that, you know, in, in all sports, it's a pretty small percentage of athletes who get to, I mean, I don't know if you can really talk about what it costs your body and whether you're making enough money to justify that. But in the winter sports, it's just so few athletes that are really making serious money uh, to justify the peril they put themselves in. It's kind of kind of hard to watch, but I just know I will be watching for the next two weeks. Before we head out, we want to give some recommendations. Uh, Amira, what are you loving right now? There's a new movie out on HBO right now called The Fallout. Megan Park uh, wrote it and debuted it at South by Southwest last year, and it stars Jenna Ortega, who some, if you have uh, teenagers like me, might remember from Stuck in the Middle on Disney Channel, but who absolutely turns in such a gut-wrenching performance in this film that follows the fallout and aftermath of a school shooting, a topic that seems persistently timely. But the way that this film in particular explores the myriad of ways that young adults, um, high schoolers react to that and how that trauma kind of webs out from them to impact their family and beyond. Me and my 14-year-old watched it together, talked about it, are still talking about it. So that's big. And then the other thing that I have, you know, I, I mentioned I've been working on this podcast for about a year. I've been getting ready to host the third season of American Prodigy over on Blue Wire. Um, this season is actually called American Prodigies, and that's because we're looking at uh, the long history and current day of Black girls in gymnastics. It will be dropping later this month on February 21st. Uh, it features interviews with Black gymnasts from the 1980s to today. All levels, from seven-year-olds to Olympians, were talking about injury and viral videos and Olympic medals and trauma and you know, content warning for some abuse. We're also talking about joy. We're talking about empowerment. We're talking about how over the decades, they have not only found their voice, but really changed what gymnastics looks like and is. And so I, it has been a pleasure to work on this show. I'm so excited for the world to hear some of these stories and these voices, some you know and some you don't, but all who you'll love. So that's American Prodigies, Black Girls in Gymnastics, dropping February 21st. Oh my God, that sounds amazing. I know what I'll be doing on February 21st. I want to recommend something, uh, I don't know, I'm slightly conflicted about it because it's yet another space show. And it, I don't know why I watch all of the space shows and I've never had any interest in space. I had a realization a little while ago that it might be because in space, the women look, th there's not a lot of makeup in space. So you can't do too much with your hair in space. So maybe it's something about that, but... The Expanse uh, recently came to an end. Uh, the season six finale aired a few weeks ago on Amazon Prime, and it kind of stuck the landing. Um, 
it wasn't a se- it wasn't a series finale that changed the world. And at one point, I was like, "Oh no, you're not going to do that, are you? That's not good." And they didn't. There, there was kind of a one more beat, and a thing that I thought was going to be a terrible mistake didn't happen. Uh, so I enjoyed that and being a little bit vague, but uh, I'm sure people will appreciate that. And there are some great women characters in the show. Uh, and so I, it's just slightly qualified, but at the same time, I watched every episode with joy. So The Expanse on Amazon Prime. That's our show for this week. The Waves is produced by Shana Roth. Shannon Paulus is our editorial director with June Thomas providing oversight and moral support. That's me. We'd love to hear from you. Email us at thewaves@slate.com. The Waves will be back next week. Different hosts, different topic, same time and place. 